Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Miner, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now, here's Pastor Mark. Well, thank you so much for checking out the 24-Minute Bible Podcast today. My name is Mark Miner, and I just want to spend a few moments encouraging you. I don't know where you're at. don't even know when you're listening to this. Uh, it is September of 2021 as I'm recording this, but you could be listening two or three years later. Uh, regardless of when you're listening to this, I, I'm pretty certain that the world hasn't gotten better and things are hard, they're difficult, there's an unsettledness, and uncertainty, no matter who's in the White House, no matter who's broadcasting on the news networks, no matter what's going on in the world, there's always turmoil. But one of the things and one of the reasons we talk about the Bible, and we're going to again today as we always do, is that it gives a it gives a settledness. The Bible is certain. It is that rock. It is that truth. Uh, I'm not here to preach to you per se, but I am here to say to you that the Bible has proven itself true through so many years, through so many lives, and and it continues to speak to us in a very unique, profound. Uh, prescient almost, in, uh, uh, well not almost, it really is a predictive way as it's telling us things about our society. And we're going to be looking at that today in episode 49, even though we're going to be talking about a very old, ancient, almost for many people just out of date subject. I would disagree a thousand percent. It is one of the most up-to-date subjects because God's Word never goes out of style. We're going to be talking about the Old Testament laws. And particularly today in this episode 49, we're going to be talking about offerings and feasts. So I hope you're encouraged today. I want to encourage you that, that <clears throat> no matter what's going on in your life, God is still on the throne. That may be a trite little phrase, but it is true. And everything that is happening today is under the direction, not necessarily the will, but under the direction of the author of this book that we call the Holy Bible. So thank you for being a part. Uh, last week, we began this uh, these episodes, these three different uh teachings, if you will, on understanding the Old Testament laws and just sort of gave a philosophical foundation as to why God would spend so much time in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy with all these words and all these regulations and some very boring, complicated, complex things that most of us skip over, quite honestly, when we're reading through the Bible. Well, today I want to bring a little more substance to that. We're going to be, again, talking about offerings and feasts. And I mentioned last episode, in episode 48, about one of the purposes for the Old Testament laws was to build a culture. To build a culture. And, and indeed, uh, when we look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those four books of Moses that are just filled with all kinds of rules and regulations and offerings and feasts and festivals and do this and don't do that. And my goodness, why are we doing all this? But God is doing something very unique, my friend. In, in all of these uh, passages and with all these words that he is speaking and sharing with his writer, his prophet, his man, Moses, 
during this 40-year period of being in the desert. God's giving Moses and therefore the children of Israel a holy culture, a very unique culture, and in fact a very healthy culture. We'll see that even more next week. You know, the Greeks would go to an oracle, a person who supposedly could connect them with God, the oracle of Delphi, who Alexander the Great sought out to get uh, direction as to where he ought to attack and what he ought to do. Well, we don't, in the, in the Jewish culture, the Jews, uh, the children of Israel that day, they didn't have to go to an oracle, a, a go-between. They had God himself, and God is giving wisdom uh, to this people and through this people to us today. And it continues to speak to us today. I'm often amazed, I speak many times on this broadcast about going to Israel and hope to go again in a year or two whenever we can get things together. But it's amazing that the God who began this good work in this culture and these people, these children of Israel, these the 12 tribes that we call Israel today, uh, continues to do a good work. I think of all the inventions right now uh, through some of the things that are going on, pandemic and some things like that. Uh, it's amazing the medical wisdom that God has brought forth through this people. Inventions like lasers and vaccines, yes, the polio vaccine, the, the vaccine that took care of the, the plagues and some things like that. Genetic engineering, as the uh, Jewish people are very much at the forefront of helping not only in human beings, but in animals and in plants particularly. That's uh, a Jewish individual that developed the pacemaker, the defibrillator. Uh, right now, if you go to Israel, you can drink seawater because they have figured out how to desalinization the desalinization of seawater. They'll never again thirst in Israel because they can do this. Most of the world can't. The Jewish nation can. Uh, so many things that God has given the Jews, and it's all started with this amazing gift written in the Old Testament that God gave to this chosen people, these children of Abraham, ultimately these 12 tribes of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, these, these Israelites or Hebrews, he gave them the Old Testament law. Let me talk about myself and perhaps yourself, depending on where you've come from, as we talk about our culture. Here, here's my culture, for example. Uh, I grew up, can't help when I grew up, I grew up in a time frame here in, in southern Illinois and in, in America. Uh, and so if I could just walk through the year with you, I remember on January 1st, or actually it was New Year's Eve, the big thing was to wait for the ball to drop at Times Square. Dick, uh, Dick Clark and the music would play. And, and on uh, New Year's Day, we would... Uh, sing or at least listen to numerous times Old Lang Syne. Uh, usually in our culture, we would eat ham and beans. That was kind of the uh, reason. I'm not sure why, but that was the meal we always had on New Year's Day. And then uh, going fast forward a little bit to March or, e or April, there would be the holiday called Easter, Resurrection Day, but we know it as Easter. And uh, we would uh, come to church on that Sunday morning and sing, Up from the Grave He Arose. There would, might be an Easter egg hunt. There probably were baskets. Uh, and there was a meal together with the family after church. Then fast forward again to 4th of July, and uh, there's fireworks and patriotic music and swimming and red, white, and blue and hot dogs and burgers on the grill. Of course, we go to November, there's Thanksgiving. There's, there's hymns of thanks, and there's the pilgrims and the Indians at their first meal together there in this new world. There's turkey and dressing, lots of turkey and dressing, cranberries and, and uh, cranberry sauce and 
pumpkin pie, and oh my goodness, what a wonderful time. Then, of course, uh, we close out the year with, with Christmas. There's the tree and the decorations. There's the gifts. There's the Christmas carols. There's the manger scene, uh, Santa Claus sometimes. Uh, what a cultural heritage. And I just walked you through in, in about 60 seconds a year of my culture. And, and in, enveloped in that culture, there were songs. There was food. There were memorials, there were special days, sacred days, special offerings, gifts, special holy days. Well, as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they had none of the above. The Old Testament law, a big purpose of that was to give this nation, God's new nation, the nation of Israel, a nation that, remember, had been enslaved for over 400 years, at least they had been living in a foreign country for 400 years. We don't know for sure how long that enslavement took place, but it was certainly centuries. They started out as 70 people coming down to the nation of Egypt. Now, 400 plus years later, they're 1 million strong. And uh, they are coming out of this, out of this country uh, uh, never having had their own land and never having had their own traditions. They're a large group of people, but they really needed something to hold them together. And that's what God's doing. He's giving them holy days. He's giving them songs. He's giving them meals. He's giving them offerings. He's giving them celebrations to, uh, to adhere them together as a culture. Today we're going to look at two of those important gifts that God gave to this uh, brand new nation, the offerings uh, and uh, the feast. So let's start with the five offerings. Now, again, as part of the purpose of, of our broadcast is simply to help you put together in a wide strokes, a big brush sort of way, uh, how the Old Testament, the Bible fits together. So I'm not going to get down much into the weeds, into the specifics of the offerings, but, but let me give you those five offerings that are written of numerous times in numerous ways through the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But I'm just going to pull them together in a real simple, digestible sort of way, I hope. Uh, remember, or uh, think about this, the purpose of offerings, any offering actually, is to keep or get us into right relationship with our God and our community. Doesn't even have to be holy God. Every culture, even pagan cultures, they have uh, offerings that they give to get them in right relationship with whatever God they may serve. Uh, and it, to get them in right relationship even with one another. So that's the purposes of offerings. The Old Testament had five specific offerings that God gave to the children of Israel. And they were to observe them in a very specific way. There were some things that were important in those offerings before I mentioned the five offerings. They were to be offered in the right way. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that we are to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship, our offering, to offer up to God the right thing in the right way. So uh, it's important to do the offerings in the right way and to the right God, of course. Secondly, it's important to understand in the Old Testament that every offering included salt. 
Now, salt's a very important thing. Certainly, Jesus talked about us as Christians being the salt of the world, but every one of the Old Testament offerings included salt as a preservative, if you will, for that's what those offerings were. They were preserving the children of Israel in the Old Testament until the fulfillment of that offering, all five of those offerings actually, would come, and his name was Jesus. All the promises of God find their amen, their yes, their completion in the work of Jesus Christ. So these five offerings all find their fulfillment in that. Another thing about the offerings, there in the Jewish traditions, of course, the, the Ten Commandments say you shall have no graven image. There was no statue. There was no face. There was no uh, something that we bowed in front of because our God is a holy God in the Old Testament, and he isn't made of human hands. So there's no statue. Uh, they were not trying to buy off God. In many of the cultures, pagan cultures particularly, uh, God, I'll give you my son. I'll give you this offering. I'll give you my grain. I'll give you this. And in return, this is what I want from you. Uh, I want a good crop. I want uh, prosperity. I want whatever it may be. The Old Testament laws are not like that. It's all about relationship, getting in a right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. Also, uh, the priest who gave the offering or helped administer the offering, very interesting, we find this in Ezekiel 44 and other places, they were to wear linen garments, no wool, no cotton, cool linen. Now, why? Well, Ezekiel tells us that God did not want any sweat in his holy place. The priests were not to sweat because sweat is a sign of the efforts of man. And these offerings were not the efforts of man. They were God given, giving to his people a way to get in right relationship with himself. And so there was uh, no sweat. And also the offerings led you into a deeper relationship. We'll see this in some other uh, upcoming episodes when we start talking about the tabernacle, but they're, they're, you're going somewhere with those offerings. You're moving always closer, always pressing in toward a God who wants intimacy with you. He wants to be a friend of yours. He wants to reveal himself to you in amazing ways, and you're moving toward the Holy of Holies. So uh, those were the purposes of the, of the five offerings. Let's talk about the five offerings themselves. There were two that were mandatory, required. One of them the first one was the sin offering. And you can read about these uh, offerings in Leviticus, especially the first uh, five or six, seven chapters, if you so choose. But I'll just sum it up for you. The first offering was a sin offering. And it required, of course, death and blood, a sacrifice. And it was an offering of consecration. Uh, there was blood that was uh, shed at the altar. That's where the, the sacrifice died. And then the blood was administered in different ways. Uh, there was a second offering that was mandatory, required of the children of Israel, and it's known as the guilt or the trespass offering. I'm going to use uh, the terms that are most often used in the New International Version. There are sometimes different words that are used in King James, New American Standard, other versions of the Bible to describe these, and that can get very, very confusing. But I'm just going to use uh, the terms from the NIV version simply for clarity's sake. So the second offering is the guilt offering. It is sometimes also called the trespass offering. And the purpose of this required or mandatory offering is restoration. 
uh, its renewal. There was no blood that was shed in this offering, although there was meat, but it was a way to get back into right relationship once you had initially got into relationship. Does that make sense? Well, those are the two mandatory offerings. I'm going to give you the fulfillment of these five offerings in just a minute uh, in, in the New Testament, at least the way I would believe and I think would make sense to you. Then there were three voluntary or what we sometimes call free will offerings. One of them was called the fellowship offering, sometimes also called the peace or the thanks, uh, thanksgiving offering or the thank offering. Now, these were not required. The, the sin offering and the guilt or trespass offering were required of the people. You had to do this. But these next three are voluntary. It's just up to you if you want to, if you're so moved, if you're so blessed, if you're so inclined, you can do these things. And the fellowship offering was one of those. It, it included in it a wave, and you would take whatever you were giving. Sometimes it would be a piece of meat. It could be something else. It could be grain, sheaths of grain. And you would wave them before the Lord. You would hold them up in holy hands and you would wave them before the Lord. It was a way of saying thank you. It was a way of communing with God. Then there was a, a second voluntary offering, and that was called the grain offering, also known as the meal or the meat offering. Now remember, meat in the King James Version, which is where this term comes from, includes all food, not just animal flesh. Jesus said, I have meat that you know not of, and he was talking about all food, not just uh, the animal flesh. But it was called the grain offering in the New International Version. Uh, and it also uh, was an offering that was given to God, and it was given in a way of uh, thanksgiving. Of I've been blessed, so I'm giving back to you. Then there was a third of the voluntary or free will offerings, the last of the five offerings. And it was called the burnt offering. The burnt offering was it was totally offered to God. The giver or the priest, neither one received any of this offering. It was total surrender, total sacrifice. Now, so these five offerings, the sin offering and the guilt offering, those are the mandatory in the Old Testament laws. And there were three voluntary offerings, the fellowship, the grain, and the burnt offering. Now, you may say, Mark, why do I care about these? Well, they have their fulfillment in the New Testament and you can read others, and some would agree with me, some perhaps would disagree, but let me just throw these possibilities at you. The sin offering, because we celebrate all of them still, uh, the sin offering is salvation. It's where we come to Christ. His blood was shed. Uh, we are saved. It's mandatory. Then there's the second mandatory offering. It's called the guilt offering. You may say, well, when do we do that? Well, at our church, we do it every quarter. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it every month. It's called communion or the Lord's Supper. It's where you've established this relationship, but now it's time to get back into right relationships. Something's gone wrong. For example, I'm married to my wife. I love my wife, but sometimes we get into a little fuss, a little fight. And I'm still married to her, but I need to do something to get back in right relationship to communicate with her or to get back in communion with her. And that's what the guilt offering is. That's why we do the Lord's Supper whenever you do it in the Christian church. It is to, a way to acknowledge and to remember. Jesus said, remember these things until I come again. So that's the purpose of communion. And I believe that fulfills the guilt offering of the mandatory offerings, the two mandatory offerings in the Old Testament. Then there's the three voluntary offerings. Well, where do we do those? Well, there's the fellowship offering. 
And that's where you wave things before the Lord. Now, I don't know what your church experience is, but if you came to our church on a Sunday morning here at Whittington, uh, you would see a lot of waving going on. Most of the time, it's, it's hands lifted to holy God. It, it's worship. Worship in the Greek means proskunio. It means to kiss towards. It's a fellowship. And uh, when you fellowship with someone in a very special way, uh, you know, sometimes that involves a kiss. Well, worship is kissing towards God. It's reaching out hands to holy God and embracing him. Well, that's the fellowship offering. Then there's the grain offering. And the grain offering is where we bring our free will gifts to the altar, to God. And that is what we do when we give an offering. And it's not really even the tithe. The tithe is expected, I believe, from the Old Testament and perhaps even in the New Testament. But uh, the Old Testament uh, offering uh, of grain offering was you're just so thankful for the bounty that you've had that you give this offering out of the abundance of your heart, a cheerful heart. Then there's the fifth offering, the third of the voluntary offerings, the, the last offering. It's called the burnt offering, and it's, it's total surrender. You're just totally consumed in giving your life to God. Perhaps that means being a missionary, or uh, maybe it just simply means that you've had this new covenant where uh, you're, you're totally committed, sold out to God in a fresh, new, and powerful way. So five offerings, two of them mandatory, three of them voluntary, but all five of them having fulfillment in the New Testament. Okay, I don't know how we're going to squeeze this into the next four minutes, but let's talk for a moment about the holidays or the holy days, the feast that God gave the children of Israel. I love the Lord, and I love one of the things about the Bible where uh, when we worship, most of the time in the Old Testament, it's not at some altar or at some cold cathedral. It's around a table. That's where life's lived. That's where values are caught and taught. And God gave the children of Israel seven holy days to uh, give them a culture and to bring them together in a very intimate, personal, and, and very spiritual way. I would encourage you, there's a man by the name of Zola Levitt. He's been gone to heaven for a number of years now, but uh, Zola Levitt has written a lot of little pamphlets or books about uh, the, the special days. He was a Messianic Jew and uh, understood, and I learned a lot through his writings and even through listening to him on different broadcasts. He's still out there. You can learn from him, but uh, he is it will give you some good insight, better insight than me probably on how these holidays work. But let's look at the seven holy days. Most, some of your Bibles will define these, uh, NIV, the uh, ESV, and the RSV all have headings. The King James and New American Standard does not have headings over these offerings found in Leviticus 23, but you can read through them and you can define them yourself. Here's the seven offerings. Passover. Well, we all know what Passover is. And Passover was a very holy day that God gave the children of Israel right before he led them out, and then they were to celebrate it every year. Also with Passover is a second feast, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, usually following almost immediately, sometimes one day, sometimes a few days after Passover. But they were all kind of rolled into one holiday, sort of like we do with Thanksgiving, or excuse me, with Christmas and New Year's. It's just one holiday season. Well, Passover, fest, feast or festival number one, Feast of Unleavened Bread is the second one. And then the Feast of First Fruits 
is the third holiday, and they're all rolled together into uh, what we might call the holiday season. Now, I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to post something on the Facebook side of uh, the 24-Minute Bible Podcast to help you if you want to study a little more. But uh, I believe that Jesus fulfilled all three of these holy days. I believe he was crucified on Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he rose again from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruit of coming out of the ground for us. So we have those three holidays that were given to the children of Israel. Then there's the fourth one. It's called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, seven weeks plus a day, and, and penta, that's what penta means, 50. Pentecost was the beginning of the harvest time. If you remember the New Testament now, uh, you remember Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire came, uh, special languages came upon the church at Pentecost, and the church was literally born, and it was sent out into the entire world. It was the beginning of the harvest that Jesus had uh, initiated with him being the first fruit from among the dead. Well, now Pentecost is the beginning of the harvest time. That's the fourth festival. Then the next one, uh, some months later, literally, is the end of the harvest, and it's called the Feast of the Trumpets. And at the Feast of Trumpet, the priest uh, would sound the trumpet from the pinnacle of the temple, and the harvest was over. And uh, all of the people would, all of the uh, Jewish individuals would leave their uh, plows and whatever they were working with, and they would go immediately home. It was time to go home. It was the end of the harvest. I think perhaps we might look at the return of Christ as the end of the harvest, at least the end of the church age. And the Feast of the Trumpets, Jesus said that at his return there would be a trumpet sound, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be caught up. Jesus said two will be working in a field. One will be taken, that's the one who's a believer, and another left, the one who isn't a believer. So anyway, is that, uh, that kind of a, a preaching sort of thing, but maybe that uh, is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. Regardless, that was feast or festival number five. The next one is not a feast at all. It's called a fast. It's the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was when they killed the scapegoat, that term we use so often, a scapegoat. And what happened at the feast or the day of, not feast, but the fast of the Day of Atonement is the high priest would lay his hands upon this goat and he would pray or commute the sins of not the world, but just the nation Israel, Israel, onto this goat. And that goat would either be killed or sometimes it would be led out into the desert and would die out there. Regardless, the sins of the nation Israel were placed upon this goat. It was a day of very solemnness. It was the only day when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with the blood to sprinkle over the Ark of the Covenant to take away the sins of the nation of Israel. So that was a very holy day for that 
that people and for us today as well. And then the last festival or feast is the Feast of, Tra- of Tabernacles or sometimes called the Feast of Booze. And it was, a, it was a day when you would build these little tents and you would move and you would be outside. It was a day of fasting, and, or not, excuse me, feasting and celebration. In fact, it was mandatory that you were happy and full of joy on the Feast of the Tabernacles because God's calendar was done and God had brought everything to completion. Now, let me just close by simply saying that these seven holy days, these feasts, I believe are given to us by God, was given to the nation of Israel to give them a culture, a heritage. But it was also given to us as New Testament Christians, if you're a believer today, to help us to understand that, that the God or the Lord of the harvest has a calendar that, that is being fulfilled and has been fulfilled partially by Jesus, will ultimately be fulfilled in some other events yet to come, perhaps, that we might be alive and, and see with our very own eyes. But the Old Testament laws and feasts and offerings, they may seem cumbersome and busy and, and just difficult to understand, but uh, when we take them with a, a uh, when you step back and see they're God's uh, way of communicating not only the future and history, but his culture and his plan for us, which is ultimately to bring us to his home. So uh, that's what the seven uh, holidays are about. Now, next week, we're going to close out this time. We're going to be talking about the Old Testament laws and some of those very weird or specific laws that have been foundational for us as a society and as a culture to this very moment. So I hope you'll uh, tune in next week. I hope this has made some sense and was clear. Again, I would reference Zola Levitt and some others that uh, would help you to understand the five offerings and the seven holy days or feasts of the Old Testament. Thank you for being a part today, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you next week as we conclude this understanding of the Old Testament laws episodes as we look at laws and commandments of the Old Testament. Thanks for being a part. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week. And may God be glorified in your lives.